series of videos, we are going through the material called Know Your Bible Better, which you can download at the website ncmind.net for free. And this video is the sixth video in the series, and it'll be looking at chapter five in this material, looking at exegesis step by step. In the previous video, we introduced what exegesis is and actually went through an exercise which you need to do before looking at this video because only once you do the exercise will anyone we're going to present here make any sense. So exegesis means to read what the scripture is saying and not read into the scripture what you think it is saying, but to actually draw its proper meaning out. And we went through an exercise in Genesis 1, verse 1 to 3 and verse 27. And so... The encouragement was for you to go through the exercise, write down your conclusions, and then come to this video where we will work through that, we'll work through the process, through the scriptures ourselves, and see if what your conclusions were, how they kind of reflect or how they work through the conclusions that we present right now. If you're doing this as a group, discuss the conclusions, discuss your study with each other as a group before you carry on. So let's do a quick recap. Questions to ask of the presented doctrine in the previous video means we should use three keys to ask these questions. Firstly, is it Christ-centered? So any scripture you're using that you are studying, you must use these three keys, or you should use these three keys to help you come to a good application and understanding of the, of the scripture. First is to ask, is it Christ-centered? Second, does it reveal God's character and his salvation? And thirdly, is it anywhere else in the Bible? The idea maybe that you are seeing in the scripture or, or the difficulty that you're having, the thing that you're grappling with, can you find that anywhere else in the Bible to help you interpret what it is that you're currently reading? So to answer one and two, to answer if it's Christ-centered or does it reveal God's character and salvation, we have to actually use number three. We have to find um, it somewhere else in the Bible. Because other scriptures will make it clear to whether the doctrine that we're dealing with in this previous video on Genesis 1 about the power of words is a revelation of God's salvation character and if it is ultimately about Jesus. So if any scripture that you are going through wrestling with, remember, find it elsewhere else, or find other places it is in the Bible to help you interpret and understand and therefore find how it can be Christ-centered and find how it reveals God's character and salvation. Hope that makes sense. So in this case, we might find some scriptures to back the claim up that was made the doctor presented that because God's words have power, our words have power. This was mentioned in the previous video. And we said you can use your own reading and memory, you can use a change reference Bible, or you could use internet or a Bible app to do your study. For our purposes, we're now going to bring out three verses that are usually used to support the conclusion that because God's words have power, our words have power, which you find in the previous video or the previous section of the book that we're going through. These often scriptures that are quoted to support the conclusion is Proverbs 12 verse 6. The words of the wicked lie in wait for blood, but the mouth of the upright delivers them. Or Proverbs 18 verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. And James 3 verse 2, For well, we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. So remember, what we said in the previous section was that 
Uh, there is a doctrine that very often taught through Genesis 1, 1 to 3 and 27, that because God, when God spoke, he created the world and his words have power and bring order to chaos and bring life. Therefore, when people speak, we can speak life or curses over each other because our words have power because we are made in the image of God. So because God can do that, us being made in his image, our words also have power, like his words have power. Now, these three scriptures we just read from James, I mean, from Proverbs 12, verse 6, Proverbs 8, verse 21, and James 3, verse 2. In their context, do they support the doctrine as I've outlined it now? Go look at these scriptures in their context and write down your answer. Pause this video if you need to, get, up here, get your pen and paper, get your study from the previous section, the previous video, and write down your answer now. If these three scriptures that are often used to support the doctrine as it was presented, if um, they do support the, the doctrine in their context. Now, the first thing we're going to do, guys, examine the genre. It would make no sense to use a book of love poetry to understand the science behind boiling an egg, now would it? That's why we've said in this whole series that you need to approach each book in the Bible with some understanding of its genre. Is the letter, is the book of history, is it a book of songs? Ask these questions. In this case, what is Proverbs? It's a book of many sayings of wisdoms, of wisdom. Ultimately, it tells you how to live the good life on earth, just using your common sense. For example, it's common sense not to speed and drive recklessly on the highway. If you do, you take your life and others into your own hands. You heighten the odds of having an accident, but to speed on the highway is not a guarantee that an accident will happen. So what is the wise thing to do? Drive safely and in the speed limit. But there are times, maybe when you can't do that, you're taking your wife to have a baby. And you, by driving safely and within the speed limit, you might lower your risks, but you also can't guarantee that you will not have an accident because things happen that are out of control. So this is the thing to understand about Proverbs. Is it gives you general wisdom, often common sense, um, but it does not give you guarantees. It can't do it. You should not treat it as if it does. That's why God also gave us the book of Job. Or Ecclesiastes. book of Job deals with tragedy. Ecclesiastes looks at things from a more negative angle and ultimately gives us the gospel to explain the suffering in the world. So therefore we understand that Proverbs does not always tell the whole story. So if we look at these scriptures, quotes from Proverbs, Proverbs 12, verse 6 and 18, verse 21, go through the context of those scriptures line by line and see what you come out with in the end. Do they support the doctrine that we presented? Please don't continue until you've done this yourself. Okay, I'm going to read those verses. Proverbs 12, from verse 5 to 8. The thoughts of the righteous are just. The counsels of the wicked are deceitful. The words of the wicked lie wait for blood, but the mouth of the upright delivers them. The wicked are overthrown and are no more, but the house of the righteous will stand. A man is commended according to his good sense, but one of twisted mind is despised. Proverbs 18, I'm going to read from verse 18 to 24. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It's better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. Whoever gives thought to the word will discover good. Blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. 
The wise of heart is called discerning. The sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. Good sense is a fountain of life to him who has it, but the instructions of fools is folly. The heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Can you get a sense of what these scriptures are about? Pause the video, read them again, think about it, write down your answer before continuing. Now, in case you missed it, here are some helpful Proverbs 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Dealing with the heart. Verse 19, it is better to be of lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. Dealing with the heart. Proud. Pride. Lowly spirit. Whoever gives thought to the word will discover good, and blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. This is dealing with the heart and the mind and thoughtful speech as a result. So at this point, you should stop and ask one question. Is this dealing with our words or with God's word or the words of others in our relationships? It would be wise to perhaps use a resource that covers the original language, Hebrews in this case. I mean, Hebrew in this case. So you might require strong concordance or you could look it up on the Internet. BibleHub.com is a great interlinear resource, which means it shows you the English and the Hebrew or the Greek side by side. And you can kind of hover over the words and see what each of them means in English or another language. Or you could look it up in multiple translations. So you might have a few Bibles available to you, look up the same scriptures and get it just for other, how the translators have uncovered the meaning of these scriptures. So you will note that the word for word in this translation is the Hebrew word Dabar. Uh, strong reference 1967. I mean 61697. This means word or talk or thing in Hebrew. Sometimes it refers to divine word, sometimes not. This would require deeper study. Deeper study, we won't have the time to go into much more study. But what we can see is that the context of the passage makes us lean to saying that this is simply carefully thinking, thinking carefully about the words you speak. So verse 21, the wiser part is called discerning. And sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. A good heart produces sweet, kind, persuasive speech. So if you have a good heart, you're kind to others. You speak well to them. Good sense is a fountain of life to him who is it. But the instructions of fools is folly. So in other words, foolish instruction, speech, is useless because it becomes from a fool. You ought to get yourself some good sense. Go back to your heart to do that. The heart of the wise, see verse 23, says, And the heart of the wise makes his speech judicious, and adds persuasiveness to his lips. So from the heart comes persuasive good speech. And gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. So this is about gracious, kind speech towards others. So in both cases, we see that the scriptures are addressing firstly the heart and then the mind. And making the case that those with good hearts and a sound mind will produce gracious, kind, thoughtful and persuasive speech. You want to be quick with an opinion. Rather, you will think your words over before speaking, and if you do so, you get better results. But it also should make us ask this question, how do I get such heart? Well, the answer is Jesus. So do these scriptures we've just sp spoken about support the doctrine that we have been addressing, that our words have power like God's word has power? Remember, these verses are often used to support that doctrine, but in their context, do they support that doctrine or are they saying something else? Write down your answers.
Now let's look at the verse of scripture in James that is often used to support the doctrine. Now our words have power like God's word has power. Now I'm going to read James 3 in context. From verse 3, it's a long portion of scripture, but I will read it. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Understand the context is already teaching. For we, have, for we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. They are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, standing the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, a reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. We've seen here now that the likeness of God, the image of God, is brought out into the scripture. That is very relevant for what it is we're studying. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, be olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. My immediate thoughts when I read this is I think of our social media these days. Twitter, Facebook, the things that we say, the restlessness of our tongues. But what do we see here? Before continuing, write down your own observations as you read this verse, thinking about this doctrine we've been looking at. Note. This is in the context of teaching, which we saw in verse 1. So James is actually opening up talking about false teaching. Secondly, James makes the point the tongue can't be controlled, but ends off with saying a spring can't produce both, produce both fresh and salt water. What does this mean? Thirdly, we can use other scriptures to uncover its meaning. In fact, it lines up perfectly what Jesus said, a good tree can't bear bad fruit, and a bad tree can't bear good fruit. What did Jesus mean? So the point of the scripture then is to show that the heart and mind of a person must change before the tongue can change. We know that the gospel is what changes the heart because the Holy Spirit convicts and comes to live in us as believers. So therefore what we need is the gospel ultimately. You see how we are applying the gospel into this and as Christians we need to put more faith in Christ to change our hearts so that our tongues will reflect his nature and his image properly. So if we look at the whole image of scripture, if we look, if we find uh, th that this theme of the heart and the mind is everywhere, once the heart is addressed the mind changes and then once that happens our speech changes because we become people of love toward others. It's only in Christ that true and lasting change happens. Is there more we can unpack here? Yes. There is another theme with regards to the words that we have to look at, for it showcases the Christ-centered nature of the Bible. I'm sorry if I'm reading a lot, I'm just trying to go through this exercise. So where else does the Bible speak of creation? We see that in John 1, actually, verse 1 to 5 and 9 to 14. I'll read it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. 
All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness is not overcome it. The true light, this is verse 9, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Go read that scripture if you have to. Pause the video, John 1, 1 to 5, and 9 to 14. So remember, we want to be Jesus-centered and understand that the New Testament sheds light on the Old Testament. So with that in mind, what does this portion of Scripture say about Genesis 1, 1 to 3 and verse 27, what we've been reading? Putting the two together, we get an amazing picture of the authority of Jesus. He is the very Word that created it all. It is through God's Word that He created, and now through His Word that He recreates, that He makes us a new creation. Do you see that link there? When the word is preached, when the word is proclaimed, when the gospel is proclaimed to you and to me, God recreates. He creates a new creation, as the scripture puts it. You've been made a new creation by the word of God. So as we saw in Genesis 1, that God spoke and creation happened and all this beauty and this life and this joy happened. So when God's word speaks to us today, life and joy and creation and beauty happen in our lives and through his lives. And as his word created male and female, in other words, his image, so his word now creates his image in us, conforming us to the image of Christ. That word is coming to you as you read, hear, and study the scriptures and let it do its work. It's how the spirit and the word work together through the word of God. So therefore, when he speaks through his word and you hear his word, believe it, you change. But is this not a very different conclusion to the original premise that we were talking about? The idea that if we look at Genesis 1, we're getting the idea that our words have power like God's words have power. Is this not different looking at the word of God, looking at Jesus' word and how that word changes us? Is that not a different premise to how our words have power? Yes, it actually is. So let's examine the conclusions. Let's remind ourselves of the conclusion and application from Genesis 1 that we were presented with and we've been studying to find if it's true. Now it's hard to do this exercise on a video because you might feel that I've led you down a path. However, you can go look at the material and do the study for yourself, and that is what we've encouraged you to do. So the presented conclusion we had was your words have power. The presented application is positive words will bring positive results, and negative words will bring negative results. So speak positive words over yourself and others. If you speak negative words, negative things will happen. Now, having done our study, write down your own observations on this conclusion and this application from Genesis 1. Remember, exegesis means you read your own conclusions into the scripture, but exegesis means you draw the conclusion out. So the example, the, the presented conclusion initially in the previous video was an example of exegesis because it's actually arrived at 
to a preconceived notion of the Bible. So many people approach the Bible as a book of rules or techniques to make themselves into something, to find some kind of self-glory. Meanwhile, the Gospel said God makes us into who He wants through the work of Christ. So Jesus, in other words, what we frequently are reading into the text are psychological helps, perhaps some false theology and teaching we've heard before, or even some of our hopes into the text. We might be looking for a key to bring uh, prosperity and goodness into our lives. We might bring our belief in positive psychology to the text. Now, positive psychology is not evil, but it has its place. We start with Scripture and examine psychology in the light of Scripture. Or we might bring previously held superstitions about blessing and cursing to the text. When we approach Scripture, we can't read psychology or a superstition or a cultural idea into the Scripture and come out with a conclusion that we like or that supports our original idea. Rather, we must deal with the text as it is. Otherwise, we lead to fall. We go led down the path of false theology and false application. So that's the first thing to remember. Secondly, logic does not always does not always equate to truth. So the idea that being made in the image of God means that our words carry the same amount of power as his words do is a logical idea. But that does not mean it is biblical. It does not carry through all of scripture and its themes. One can create a logical argument for pretty much anything to justify sin or even infanticide. You, could, you, can, you can justify anything through logic. But just because it's logical doesn't mean it is a true way to live. Thirdly, what we see through that presents a conclusion that our words have the same power as God's words, is that it is very man-centered. It doesn't exalt Christ and his ultimate sovereignty. We saw this by looking at the overarching theme of Scripture around the tongue and speech and noted the central nature of Jesus in creation and how God's word has the power to change us. That is a Christ-centered um, application and interpretation of the Scriptures. If it is not Jesus first, it's suspect. So, what is your conclusion based on that? Now, it's important to remember that um, that the application of this teaching is often known as positive confession in Christian circles. Now, when I pray for somebody and I say I speak life over them or I declare life over them, it's important for us to remember what's actually going on there. I am speaking God's word to them, believing that God's word and his promises will bring life. Even better than me just saying I speak life over you would be to speak the words of life over them, to take the scriptures and the promises of the scriptures and prophesy and speak those words over them because speaking the words over them encourages them and gives them faith like we've said Romans 10 faith comes by hearing the word of God when they, once they have faith and trust in God they can move forward so me praying over someone and saying to them I speak God's life over you would be even better if I would speak the words of life over him and those words would bring healing and faith into that person or should I say faith and therefore healing into that person or faith and therefore courage into that person, faith, and therefore understanding into that person, faith, and therefore they can move forward. That is what we mean. So the Bible affirms also that a positive person is better than being a negative one. It's better to be a positive person than a negative person. 
as negativism, negativism cycles into many dangers and cynicism and other sorts of things. But the Bible does not scare us into believing that every word spoken over us will either bring a blessing or a curse. So I've seen this. If you believe that words have so much power that if I speak a curse over you, you are cursed and you have to undo that somehow, you will live in fear. But that fear is what actually gets the power over you, not the word that has been spoken over you. We, God has not given us a spirit of fear. It's not livable to believe that every word spoken has some bearing on your life. What is true is that God's word has bearing on your life. And thirdly, not thirdly, but this idea also can re lead to the idea of karma. In fact, it is more applicable to the idea of karma, the Eastern idea that we have to um, take things off of ourselves. We have to do works. So if someone's spoken something evil over you, you need to find ways to undo that evil. Lesson you have to note that false teaching is not always completely wrong but often half true, and therein lies its danger. False teaching is subtle and often brings just enough truth to make it believable, just logical enough, just truth, just a little snippet here and there to make it believable, but that's why it is so dangerous, pervasive, and often difficult to deal with. So in this case, the truth is that what our words, uh, that our words can do damage, because our words can break people down, Create anarchy and confusion by the things I say in social media, the things I teach, the things I say publicly, or, or the, the thoughtless words that I give towards others and into situations. This can cause chaos, destroy relationships and confusion. However, this is in the context of relationships, the way that people work together. Our words, just the words ourselves, don't bring health and prosperity to us. That's more like Harry Potter who says an incantation and something happens. A positive attitude may correlate to having better health, but that's not saying this, that's not the same thing as saying that by positively confessing over yourself every morning and evening that you won't go bald and that God will make you health, wealthy, healthy, that it's going to happen. You can't simply positively confess situations away. God does expect us to work through things. Most of our situations require choices, decisions, they're either in line with scripture or they're not. So you can't avoid responsibility for your actions or avoid the tough things about life by confessing good things over your life. So that is the way that we would understand that idea scripturally over the idea that sometimes it is often taught. I hope this exercise has been helpful to you. Please go to the book, download on the website, ncmi.net, know your Bible better and work through these ex this exercise in chapter five and six and apply the things that are stated here into other scriptures perhaps that you're wrestling with or grappling.